Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope that it will encourage you and help you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more. Good morning, everyone. I hope you are all having a good start to your day. Um, Snowflakes were big yesterday, and then it all froze overnight, so it was a little slippery this morning, but hopefully nobody fell on the way to their car. Everyone got here safely. Um, So I'm happy to be here with you guys this morning. I am very excited to be up here to speak and be a part of the Genesis series because when I heard we were doing a Genesis series, I got very excited because Genesis is one of my favorite books in the Bible. So knowing that I got a chance to come up here and share, I was excited about that. And one of the things that I'm going to talk about today is the idea of independence. And when I think about independence, I typically think about how when I was a teenager and when I was in middle school, I was always wanting more independence to the point that you get mad or frustrated with loving parents who are taking care of you. Because you want more independence, you want more freedom, you want to feel like an adult. But then once you become an adult, you're like, man, I kind of wish I could go back to my parents' house and... Just a couple months ago, my parents came and visited us, and as me and Chantilla have only lived on our own for a couple months at the time, there's a couple household items that you collect over the years, and in your first couple of months of living, you just don't have those things. So my parents, like, my parents were cooking us dinner, they took us out and bought us a toaster and a kettle, and I was like, I like being taken care of. I don't like my independence. I, I want my parents to live with me all the time. But of course, if they did live with me all the time, after three weeks, I'd be like, oh man, I wish I had my own place. And then three weeks later, I'd want my parents to come back. So independence is a nice balancing act. And when you're a teenager, it's all you want. And parents are always trying to tell their teenagers, trust me, just enjoy this while you have it. And when I was in high school, my parents limited the amount of times I could spend on video games, and I thought they were crazy. I wanted to play video games all the time, and I was frustrated with them. So when I got to college, I was like, okay, this is my time. This is my chance to play video games as much as I want. Unfortunately, there's something called homework, studying, classes that you have to do. So I had responsibilities, so I kind of had to put the video games aside. But if, if anyone in the room has ever gone to college, it, it's that first Christmas break that you get when you really experience freedom. Because college is not like high school where you spend the Christmas break studying for exams in January. You finish all of your exams right before the break, and you don't start new classes until after. So you have about four weeks of Christmas break, that's how long ours was, of just absolutely nothing. So I was like, this is my time to experience the freedom that I've always wanted my whole life, and what do I use my freedom for? I used it for video games, kind of (laughs) lame. So all I wanted to do was play video games, so I did, and I had three other friends, and we, we played video games all the time, all night long, we stayed up late, and my sleep schedule had totally swapped. So I was now going to bed around six or seven in the morning, and I was waking up at 4 p.m. or 5 p.m. And there's a great shame in brushing your teeth to go to bed, and your dad is up for get, getting ready for work, asking you why you're up so early, and you, and you have to explain to him, like, no, good night. Like, I'm, I'm actually going to sleep right now. And then you wake up, and your breakfast is the dinner that your mom cooks for you. It was a good life. But I didn't give any time to transition back into a normal routine, so I went from that sleep schedule, and then the next morning I was on a flight and I was back in my classes, and it was the worst thing I ever did, and my body felt terrible, 
and I made a vow. I was like, I am never doing that again. That was terrible. I got a taste of independence, and I abused it, and it was horrible. Two years later, I did the same thing again. So when the pandemic sent me home from my school, I was home again for a month. I didn't have a job yet because I just moved home. I was trying to figure things out. I wasn't allowed to leave the house, and everyone was trapped at home, so I did the same thing again. I started playing video games. Same sleep schedule kicked in. It got bad again. And then I finally was able to find a job in the pandemic, and so I was on that sleep schedule still. This going to bed at 6 a.m., waking up at 5 p.m., was, it was terrible. And then I had no time to transition again as I started a new job in a very dangerous factory with dangerous equipment. So I was like, I need to get my sleep schedule right, or I'm going to lose an arm or something in here. So I was like, I, I can't do that anymore. And I, I haven't done it since, so hopefully one day I don't have another story about how I fell into that video game trap again with you guys. But So speaking of independence, that's one of the things I'm going to be talking about in the story of Genesis. And I'm super excited to be a part of this Genesis series as we are in our third week now. And as I was studying and reading and getting ready for this message, I got excited because I really love what I'm talking about today. And I'm excited to talk about it. Everybody craves independence and this idea of having freedom. We all want it. Now, when I was reading the Bible, I was thinking about the disciples. And I was thinking about how the disciples gave up a lot of their independence and freedom to follow Jesus. They were fishermen, they were living their life, and they were told to put down their nets and follow this guy. And they did. They gave up that independence and freedom to depend on someone else. Now, in Genesis today, we're going to be focusing on two things that us as a church are pretty familiar with, because if you followed with us on our journey of the story of God in the Five Trees sermon series last fall, we're going to be talking about the first two trees that are found in Genesis from that story. And I love referring back to the five trees because I just loved that series a lot. I love that I got to follow along with Mike and preach it to the youth every Wednesday. And I just love how that Five Trees sermon series has kind of stuck with a lot of us in many ways, whether it's stickers, whether it's wallpapers, we know people who've made cool artwork and have the five trees on their wall. I know someone who has their five trees on their skateboard, as they sh as, as on, their, on their snowboard as they're shredding the mountain. I know somebody who's even talked about getting the five trees inked into their skin. So clearly the five trees is sticking with people. And we're going to be focusing on two verses from Genesis chapter 2, 16 to 18. So if you have your Bibles with us, you can open and join me there. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 to 18. And it says this. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Sounds pretty harsh. Don't eat fruit or you will die. But there's so much to those two verses, and we're taking a lot of inspiration from an author named Daryl Johnson in a book that he writes called The Story That Makes Sense of Our Stories. And it's a great book, and it's super helpful when learning about Genesis. So if you have interest, I encourage you to read it. So that, that verse talks about the trees. So where are the trees? The trees are in the garden. The trees are in this place that God created for humans to live in, the Garden of Eden. It was perfect. It was paradise. It was a creation place that was made for us to live in and enjoy. Now, of course, we don't live in the garden anymore. And I'm sure many of us at one point or another in our life have thought frustrating feelings about Adam and Eve. I'm sure a lot of us have done that. I remember when I was in high school, I was walking with a friend and encouraging him to become a Christian for the first time, and he did, and it was awesome. 
And as we kept going through stories of the Bible and teaching him about Jesus, when he learned about Adam and Eve for the first time, I think he even made a comment like, Adam better hope he doesn't see me in heaven or something along those lines because <laughs> he was just so frustrated. Now, of course, as he kept learning, he knew that that is not the right way to go about things. And maybe it's even important for some of us to forgive Adam and Eve. I know a lot of people who that's made a big impact in their life. So we as humans were made to be in the garden. God created us to live in there in relationship. We are supposed to be in relationship with God. We are supposed to be in relationship with the land, enjoying the garden and what God had provided for us. We were supposed to be in relation with others as, as God gave man, woman. And we were supposed to be in relationship with self. We have a conscious and a spirit. And that's how we were created. We were created to be in the garden as relational beings. And when I think about God creating us to be relational beings, I often think of the dog versus cat debate. And I think probably 80% of this room would say that they like dogs better than cats. Put your hand up if you like dogs better than cats. Okay, much more people. And my favorite argument on... (laughs) And my favorite argument on why people like dogs more than cats is because dogs are more relational. Dogs love you back, they greet you when you come home, they become a friend, they become part of your family. Now, cat, cat people would argue that that's the case too, but I just don't think so. I, I'm getting an amen today, there we go. I'm, I'm preaching, there you go, people are loving it today. Sorry, sorry to the cat people in the room, but. So we want dogs because they're relational and they love us and there's a relationship, there's a back and forth and that's how God created us to be. And I love that in this book, when Daryl Johnson is talking about the garden, he brings up the idea that there is only one command. There is only one rule. And it's interesting to think about that because the garden is where we were intended to be. It's where we were supposed to be. It was God's original plan for us. So in our original plan as humanity, there's only one rule. And that's interesting to think about because so many people think of Christianity and God and all these things as rules and do's and don'ts and how-to's and how-to-nots and and just making life complicated, thinking about what you can and can't do. But in our original form, there was only one command. And that command is, do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now there's the tree of knowledge of good and evil that we've been commanded not to eat from, and then there's the tree of life. The tree of life is not actually talked about all that much, but it's referred to as in the middle. That's what it's referred to. The tree of life is in the middle. And I love that it's in the middle because it's, if you remember from our five tree series, as the tree of life is in the middle, it is a life source. Everything is supposed to circle around it and God is supposed to be at the center and in the middle of our lives. Now something important to remember about the garden is that in the garden, God gave us everything that we could ever need. Anything humans could ever need or want was in the garden for them. Humans were not deprived of anything. And I think it's important to remember that because when God is giving us a command and telling us not to eat from this tree, it's not like Adam and Eve were starving in the garden and this was the only food there for them and God was telling them not to eat from it. God was telling them not to eat from a tree, but there was the rest of the garden available for them, providing everything that they could ever need. So I don't think that it was unfair or, or mean of God to keep us away from one tree. God was actually just protecting us from consequences. It says in that verse that if we eat from the tree, we will die. It doesn't say that God will kill us or that he will make us die. It's a consequence that God is begging and trying to protect us from by telling us not to eat from the tree. He's not punishing us. He's trying to protect us from consequences. 
Daryl Johnson in this, in this chapter, he, he brings up a great funny story that I thought was funny, talking about trying to relate this to our lives. And Adam and Eve were the first people to go through anything, because they're the first people. So he brought up the idea that, think about a construction site, and if the very first people were working at a construction site, and the safety guy kept telling them, hey, I wouldn't jump off the fifth floor if I were you. Like, don't do it. Don't jump off the fifth floor. And eventually, the two people who don't know anything would get, would get frustrated and say, I am not listening to this guy anymore. I'm jumping off the fifth floor. I don't know why he doesn't want me to jump off the fifth floor. And for a second, it would feel fun, and they're flying. But of course, we know how that would end. Not nice. And the safety guy at the construction site, it's not unfair for him to tell them not to jump off the fifth floor. He's trying to protect them from something bad that will happen. I think about one of my friends in Victoria. He's a safety guy at a construction site. And when he started out that job, he was even younger than me. And if you've ever worked on a construction site before, you know one thing. Nobody likes the safety guy, and nobody likes the 20-year-old who's telling you what to do. <laughs> and he was both of those things. So he wasn't everybody's favorite all the time, but he was kind of okay with just, you know, people don't love me all the time, but I got to do my job. Until one man joined his construction site. And this man was a really cool guy. He was in his 50s, and it's, he, he was in our church, and it's someone that we all kind of looked up to, because he's, he's in his 50s, he's in great shape, he's got a great head of hair, he's handsome, <laughs> he's, he's pretty rugged and tough, and we all kind of wanted to be like this guy, but we were also all very scared and intimidated of him. So he now joins the job site as, as my friend, who's the safety guy, and my safety guy friend is just absolutely terrified to go up to this handsome, intimidating, cool, rugged man and say, you know, as the 20-year-old, and be like, hey, like, you, got, you got to put your helmet on. Uh, would you mind putting on your harness for me? And he's like, no. Um, so nobody likes the safety guy. But my friend is not being mean by telling this man to put on his harness or his hat. He's trying to protect him. So a lot of people would ask why. Why is the tree of knowledge of good and evil even there? Why do we need to be protected from something if it could have just not been there in the first place? And I think it's important to remember that it was a risk. It's a risk that the tree of knowledge of good and evil was in the garden. It's a risk that we were brought into the garden. There's an awesome part of this chapter where, where he shares a story about a man named Felix. And Felix was a World War I German soldier, and in the trenches he stood up and he gave this awesome speech. And many people who were in the army were actually saved that day and gave their life to Jesus. But, but Felix was talking about the idea of God taking a risk. And he was talking about the idea of how all of them in the army, whenever there's danger, whenever there's a risk about to take place, you have to be a quick decision maker, but everybody naturally in their human state stops and thinks because you're about to take a risk. And he brings up the idea that God actually took a huge risk by bringing us, humans, into the garden. God had created something beautiful and it was perfect and it was paradise and he risked us coming in the garden and eating of the fruit. He risked humans hating him and resenting him. But God took that risk for us. God wanted to create us as relational beings. He wanted to have a relationship with us, so he took that risk. And that risk had to be taken because if there is no choice, there is no relationship. If we were just robots being controlled and we didn't have a choice to go left or right, then there would be no relationship. There's no such thing as love if there's no choice. When you get married, the thing that everyone tells you is that it's a choice every single day. That's what love is, to wake up every single day and make a choice to continue to love them. And then without that choice, there's not much of a relationship. If you were forced to be places, then there's no love, there's no relationship. It's just, 
It's just what life is. So there had to be a choice, and that was a risk, but God took that risk because of how bad he wanted the love and relationship between us and him. Now, when we're talking about the tree of knowledge of good and evil, it's not always the funnest thing to say, right? Tree of knowledge of good and evil. It doesn't roll off the tongue very nice, and it's not a great name for a tree, but Daryl Johnson in this chapter, he makes a great point on why it's important to always use the full name for the tree. Because so many people have shortened the name for the tree or took it out of the wrong context. And there's even people who still think that today that eating, how God does not want us to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil means that God does not want us to have knowledge. That he doesn't want us to use our brains. He doesn't want us to be smart. But we know that God wants us to have knowledge and use our brains because he gave us a choice. If God didn't want us to use our brains, we wouldn't have a choice in the first place. I have a great friend who's in Ontario right now and he's in nursing school and I've loved talking to him weekly and hearing about his nursing program because the more he learns about the human body, the more he learns about God and his creation and how much he loves God and their relationship grows. And it's just a great sign that God does not want us to not learn things. God actually has a desire for us to learn more, gain knowledge, understand him better. I wrote about this in a dearly beloved blog recently but there's a chemical called oxytocin and when I learned about oxytocin, it's a great example of how when we learn more about God's creation, we love him more and we, and we gain an understanding of his character. Now, oxytocin is a chemical in the human brain and it's only released immediately following childbirth. And it's a chemical that when it goes through your brain, it erases all of the trauma of childbirth, basically making it possible for a woman to say, yeah, I could do that again. Because if, because if that chemical didn't get released in our brain, every single person in this room would be an only child because no mother would ever sign up to do it again. But God puts that chemical in our brain so that we're able to forget that trauma and we're able to have children again. And that's just another beautiful thing that when we learn more and we learn about how God created us, it's beautiful. Now, if knowledge of good and evil does not mean to be smart, to have knowledge, to use our brains, if that's not what that means, then what does it mean? And that's a great question. So I, I had to do some research to figure out what Daryl Johnson said on the matter because he, he worded it really good. And when he's talking about the knowledge of good and evil and what that means, there was almost a clue or a puzzle to what it means. And it was that kids don't have it and elders lose it. <clears throat> and when I read that, I was confused. I was like, I, I don't know what's going on anymore. I'm, I'm lost. But then he went on to continue that it makes sense because what he thinks that the truth of knowledge of good and evil means is that you are so wise, you rely on no one for decision-making through your whole life. So, kids don't have it. Kids can't rely on nobody. Kids have to rely on everybody, especially when they're babies. They rely on everyone to take care of them and help them, and then elders lose it. So the older you get, you know, the, the more you can't do the things that you always once did, and you have to rely on, depend on other people again. And, <clears throat> and what's important to remember is that every single human is either a kid at one point or an elder at one point or both. So as humans, we cannot have the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We cannot maintain that independence of relying on nobody for making decisions through our whole lives. Now when we went through the five tree series, we talked a lot about being dependent as we went over the tree of life. We know that only God can be dependent. Independent. God is an independent being and we are not. We were made to be dependent on God. We were made to have the tree of life in the middle. Everything that we do surrounds it. We, we go to it for our life source. We rely on it. We need it. 
We were made to be dependent. So to eat from the fruit, giving us the knowledge of good and evil, it doesn't help us in any way. And Daryl Johnson puts it this way. He says that eating the fruit did not make Adam and Eve more like God. It actually made them less like humans. And I love how he words that because Adam and Eve eating of the fruit gives them this idea that, that they can be their own God, that they can be fully independent on their own. But, but God has already warned us that we can't do that for we will surely die. God is not being mean by keeping us away from this fruit. It's coming from love and care for us as humanity. We're gonna read something together that is in this chapter of the book. It's a pretty big chunk, but I took it out because I just, I find it beautiful and I just love how Daryl Johnson words this. So, so I wanted to read it with you guys. But basically what he's doing is taking that verse where God commands us to not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and he rewords it in a way that he thinks, like this is how God would say this to us. This is the love and care that is behind that message. So this is God speaking. He says, Adam, you are what you are because of me, your creator. You are a glorious creature, magnificent beyond what you yourself know. I have made you dependent on me for life. All I ask is that you be you, a creature, a human being. You are free, but do not use your freedom to try and be other than you are, a dependent creature. Do not try to be your own God. For all your magnificence, you cannot be your own God. You be you and I will be me. Do not try to be what I am. I tell you this for your own sake. If you try to be me, if you try to be independent, you will ruin your world, you will die. When it's, when it's put that way, you can feel the amount of love and care that is behind that command. It's not a mean rule keeping us from something, but, but God has created us in a certain way. He's created us. It says that we are magnificent beyond what we can even understand. He just wants us to depend on him. He just wants us to be who we are, to be what he created us to be, and that is humans who empty ourselves to be filled up by him, to rely on him. He is the only one who can be independent and be God over our lives. It's a very loving command, and when he's reading that, you can tell that it's almost like he's begging us. It's, he just wants us. He just wants us to be how he created us to be. He wants relationship and love with us, and isn't it nice to be wanted, especially by the creator? Now, we as humans today are a lot farther away than, than what we were created to be in the garden, and in Matthew, it talks about how we must be more like children, fully dependent on the Father, and another place in scripture talks about having childlike faith. I'm sure we've heard the, that kind of word being tossed around. And it's important to remember that in a relationship with God, we actually are supposed to be like a child. We are supposed to be dependent on God and not independent, but we are actually supposed to just completely give ourselves up and say, God, we are yours. God, our life source comes from you. Our strength comes from you. Our courage comes from you. And we come to you for everything that we need. Because just like in the garden and the two trees, it's not like there's something that we need and he keeps us away from it, but he actually provides us with everything that we could ever need. <clears throat> Excuse me. God chose us. He chose love and relationship over the perfection that was the world. He took a risk by bringing us in, but he did that for the relationship and the love side of it. It's important to remember that we have to let God be God and we have to be human. We have to be human how we are created to be. God at the center, the tree of life in the middle. We have to rely on him for everything about our lives. We have to be fully dependent on God. 
Now, it's sometimes hard to imagine a good example of what that looks like because we as humans are all flawed, we all make mistakes. But there actually is a great example of somebody who was the original full human that God intended us to be. And the original full human is actually the only other human that was also fully God. We're talking about Jesus. Now, as Jesus was fully God, he was fully man as well. And some would even say a controversial line arguing that Jesus was the weakest human of all time because he's the only human to ever fully empty himself and be fully weak as a human in order to be filled up by God and be dependent on God to have all of his strength coming from the Spirit. Jesus refers to himself as the vine. And I think what he's talking about there is the tree of life. That God is the tree of life, that he's fully wrapped around it, that, that, that the tree of life is at the center, that the tree of life is at the middle. It is his life source, it is his strength. Because as he is fully human, he fully relies on the Father. He empties himself to be filled up by the Spirit for all of his strength. I love that it's mentioned and it's important to remember that God has provided everything for us. We were not made as humans to sit in the garden and stare at this tree that we can't have as we're starving for food. Just like in our lives, we're not meant to stare at the things we can't have or don't want or the things that we're tempted by, but, but God actually provides everything that we could ever want, and he has all the things that we need. So we're not meant to sit here and wallow in our, in our own sadness and think about what we can't have, but we are actually supposed to just be enjoying the life that God has for us and is available to us by emptying ourselves of our human desires and being filled up by the Spirit and what God has for us in our lives. God has a plan for us. There's a great example of everything that we ever need being provided for us. And that's when Jesus was on earth and he, and he took himself upon the cross. That's a great example of God providing everything we need. He provided a son to undo what happened in the garden when we were broken connection from God. Now, if you remember the five tree series that we went through, the cross was another one that we talked about, the tree of, the tree of forgiveness. And before sacrificing himself on that cross, we see that Jesus was walking through earth and he was performing miracles and we know the life that Jesus lived and it was magnificent. And sometimes we think about it because Jesus is fully God, so of course he could do those things. But I love the idea that Jesus was fully human because he was. And he was able to do those things because he fully emptied himself as a human and was fully dependent on God like we were made to be in the garden. And I love the idea of that because when Jesus is emptying himself and filling up with the Holy Spirit in order to do all the things that he did, we know that that's the same spirit that's available to us. So the way that Jesus had fully emptied himself as a human to be filled up by the Spirit, to be filled up by God, is the exact same resource that we have here today. We can fully empty ourselves as humans and, and, and say, I don't want independence. I don't want to be my own God because I can't do it. When I have my own independence, my sleep schedule flips. I need to rely on God because I can't do it. We need to empty ourselves as humans, trust in God, give everything to him. Because we saw the way that Jesus walked on this earth. He was an empty human who filled himself up with the spirit and relied on the Father for his strength just as we are able to today. I love talking about the cross, and as you know, as you walked in today, you grabbed an emblem, and it's Communion Sunday, so we all have one of these with us today, and if you didn't have one, they're in the lobby. Um, and Jesus sacrificed himself on that cross, and he forgave us, and, and what happened in the garden when Adam and Eve ate from that fruit, where we were separated from God, where we asked for independence, where Adam and Eve thought that they could be their own God, what happened there is undone through the cross. And I'm thankful for that sacrifice that Jesus took. And the night before, 
Jesus was on the cross, they had the Last Supper. And while they were eating, Jesus took bread. He gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, take it, this is my body. So if you take your communion emblem here, you can peel back the first layer, and there's the little cracker thing, and then the second layer, you can peel back, and there's the juice. And it's important when we, when we eat this to do what Jesus said. Give thanks. Thank you, Jesus, for being our example of what a true human, the way we are created to be, looks like. Thank you, Jesus, for undoing what was done by dying on the cross and forgiving us of our sins. After he gave thanks, he broke the bread. He gave it to his disciples, saying, take this, this is my body. We can partake in the bread. After that, he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks. He referred to it as his blood poured out. And they all drank from it. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you that when we go through the Genesis series, thank you that when we, when we look at creation, we see your heart, we see your character, but we also see so much Jesus through the Old Testament as well. Thank you that you're here with us in this room right now. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for creating us to be who we are meant to be. Thank you for making us and providing everything we could ever need. Thank you for being the one, the only independent God because we can't do it. We don't want to do it, God. We want to be humans who rely on you. We want to be a church who empties ourselves and relies on you and said, I want to be empty because what I have in here is not that great, but God is offering me a spirit that can fill up my body and my soul, and that is what I desire. God, we love you, and we're so thankful. I'm thankful that you care about our, our brains and our minds, and you want us to learn and gain more knowledge, and you desire for us to know you better through our knowledge and the more we gain and the more we know. So as we're going through this Genesis story and the creation, God, I'm thankful that as we learn, we see your character. And as we learn, we see your love. And as we learn, we see what you have for us and how you intended us to be. And I pray right now that, that as we go on from this day, God, we remember that we are made to be dependent humans. I pray that we are all encouraged today to, to give up fleshly desires, to, to stop thinking that we can take care of everything on our own, but but it actually takes more courage and more boldness to say, I can't do it on my own. And to empty ourselves and be willing to allow you to take over our lives. We're thankful and we love you so much. We're thankful that you love us and chose us. You desire us so much, God. So if we just open our arms, you're here for us. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for being in control. In your name we pray. Amen. As we conclude today, we're going to respond in worship. I'm going to invite you to stand. Laura and the team are going to lead us. I love how Clay brought our attention through the first two trees to a third, and specifically to Jesus himself, who emptied himself to show us what life in the fullness of the Spirit could look like. And even before we sing the first word of this song, I wonder if you're willing to join me right now in just holding out your hands and would we together say welcome Holy Spirit just in your own words under your breath out loud if you wish 
Christ showed us the way of emptiness so that we could also live in the fullness of him. Let's let the Spirit move in us and amongst us now as we worship. Holy Spirit, we welcome you.
don't do this often, but I'm going to ask, we just lift up an applause of praise to Jesus right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We're going to put on the screen for you, uh, those who are tracking along in a group experience and you want to have some discussion questions to follow, you can see it on the screen behind me. If you want to take a picture of it, it'll also be made available online this week. Maybe you're doing personal study or with your spouse or in a coffee club, DNA relationship, small group, whatever it may be. We encourage you to be thinking through what you've been encountering today. I'm going to call our prayer ministry team forward right now if you could come and make yourselves available. Every Sunday, we want you to have the opportunity to receive ministry. It's no secret that God is at work in your lives. It's no secret that all of us have needs. And it should be no secret to us that prayer is access to the greatest power in all existence, available to bring transformation, hope, and help to you and your circumstances. And so these people that are making themselves available right now up front would love to pray with you, pray for you for whatever it is that concerns you today. You can also, of course, please feel free to pray with a friend that came with you or somebody nearby. I want to lead us in a time of corporate prayer before we close, and we sometimes do this, so I'm asking you to put your hand over your heart with me. It's just a way of maybe sort of signaling, God, you can touch me in the most inner mart, inner, innermost parts of whom you've made me to be. Father, today, as we go back into your world on your mission, um, we have two trees in front of us, and we acknowledge we need you. We're dependent upon you. We need the power and presence of your spirit. We want other people to know your love and your truth, and there's no way we could bring that into this world on our own. We need each other. We need your empowerment. We need your anointing. Would you fill us? Would you move in our lives? We pray this in the strong name of Jesus, and everyone said, Amen. For those who are members, those who are not, we have copies of our uh, annual report available in the lobby. If you want to pick one up, if you haven't got one yet, you can. And again, if you, if you like dinner, if you want to be part of some important vision dialogue, building dialogue, input, all of that kind of stuff tonight, what time? 5.30, back here in our fellowship hall. Have a wonderful, wonderful afternoon. Thanks again for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged you as you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more.